Would you stand, please, for the reading of the gospel? Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias ruler of Abilina, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Advent has arrived with all the usual excitement and anticipation. Trees are already up in churches and in houses. The Henshaw's tree is still in the backyard in a tub uh, of water, drinking up a little bit more water before we put it in our house. Gifts are being purchased. Uh, the supply chain is being prayed over. People are making menus, planning trips, or perhaps getting a guest room ready for somebody who is coming to see you. It's all a little bit overwhelming. But it's not all pumpkin spice. It's not all Burl Ives holly jolly Christmas in this season of Advent. There are what I would call undertones to Advent. There are muted tones. It's, it's like music that is a little bit in the lower range in this Christian season of Advent. This morning, Malachi and John the Baptist creep into our service. We're not sure we want to hear them. Their voices are raspy, they are insistent, they are urgent, they are inconvenient, maybe even feel unpolished. And above all else, there is something a little threatening about what they have to say. We want silver bells. We want a way in a manger. Don't worry, we're going to get there. I, I saw this last week in the paper um, that Theater Macon is right now offering uh, White Christmas, uh, great community theater over on uh, Cherry Street. 
And the article says they're offering white Christmas because we all need comfort food right now. We all need something nostalgic. Man, I, I get that. I, I understand that. And that feeling makes me want to push John the Baptist and Malachi away. I don't want to hear those voices right now. But both of them promise in their own prophetic way that yes, the Savior, the Messiah is coming and that he will be transformative, but he will also be disruptive. The valleys will be filled up, John says. The mountains will be brought low. The crooked ways will be made straight. Have you ever heard anybody described as being more crooked than a barrel of fish hooks? That old country expression. Uh, the crooked ways will be made straight. The rough ways, says uh, John the Baptist, the rough ways will be smoothed out. This is, this is disruptive. I remember when I was six, uh, or I hope it wasn't much older than that, when my mother was still washing my hair and I was crying and every time begging for her, don't wash my hair because I couldn't seem to keep my eyes closed. I was too curious to see what was happening. And my eyes always hurt and it always made me cry. It's disruptive to get cleaned. There are crooked ways everywhere that need to be straightened out, aren't there? You know what they are. I know what they are. I know what some of them are. The things that I think crooked, you may think are straight uh, and vice versa. But my guess is that our lists are pretty similar. There's a bunch of crooked stuff going on in our world. And I know enough to know that we aren't going to straighten it out on our own. We can't do it. Come, Lord Jesus. I want to say, come, Lord Jesus. Surely we can acknowledge our societal sin and to know that it is beyond our ability to resolve it. Malachi talks about refining fire and fuller's soap. We all get the refining fire that, that God is coming like a, a, a refining fire that will burn out the impurities so that all that is left is the silver and the gold. We may not be quite as familiar with the fuller's soap because uh, doing the laundry is basically a matter of, this is a man talking, pour some amount of something in a washing machine and push a button. I know it's more complicated than that, which is why I try to stay away from that part of, you know, I still haven't got all that straight, but it's not nearly like what cleaning things were in Malachi's day. Fuller's soap was neat, it was alkali. And what you did was you took the wool off of the the sheep, the lamb, the, the sheep, and it was 
dirty and grimy and grungy, and you didn't throw it in a little washing machine, you pounded it with that alkali, and you stepped on it, and you rubbed it, and, and it was a violent process. And, and when you got done, the, the wool was called full. It was full. So that's why they called it fuller's soup. And getting scrubbed and getting clean is the process of the Messiah. And Malachi asks, who can endure his coming? Who can stand when he appears? That's an ominous question. We, we're excited about a way in a manger, but, but we need to hear Malachi whether we want to or not. Who can stand it? And then I did, um, I, I did something this morning um, in the worship service that I uh, hope wasn't too egregious. The lectionary reading for Malachi is supposed to be verses 1 to 4, but I added verse 5. Please don't tell the higher-ups that we read one more verse this morning than we were supposed to read. I added verse 5 because verse 5 talks about all the sins that, that the Messiah is going to clean up. They left out all the good stuff. And, and Malachi begins with verse 5 by saying, I'm going to clean, uh, clean up all who believe in sorcery. We say, Phew. Uh, I never read Harry Potter. I don't care anything about sorcery. I'm off the hook on that one. Um, Malachi goes on to talk about adultery, about lying, uh, about oppressing the widow and the orphan, about withholding wages from uh, the, uh, the, 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 what I would call uh, just the minimum wage workers. Malachi talks about turning a cold shoulder on the immigrant. Malachi talks about all of those who uh, have no fear for him. It's a long list of things that are going to get scrubbed and straightened and made smooth. If I had time this morning, I might ask what things need scrubbing in our own church. What about us? It's easy for a preacher to get up here and talk about those sinners out there. But, but what, what at Mulberry? If I had time to develop that, what, what at Mulberry does God need to be scrubbing right now? What is God scrubbing? What is, what is it that in this congregation. The only thing I dare to say is that the first thing that probably needs scrubbing is standing right here in this pulpit. Maybe we ought to talk about what needs scrubbing in your life, in my life. What's being purified right now? What, what is holding us back personally from receiving Jesus again as Lord and Savior. I've been talking to a friend of mine in another state. His life is broken. His career is threatened. His family is in distress. 
He called me, he said, wanting advice, but I had no advice for him. I tried to listen as compassionately as I could. When I hung up and, and began studying the scripture, I wondered if it's not possible that his own life is being scrubbed and scoured right now. And if so, it is very unpleasant for him. But my prayer is that he will come out on the other side on the salvation of the Lord. Peter Hitchens is a name that may not mean anything to you. Peter Hitchens and his brother Robert uh, were both atheists. They grew up in the church, but they both turned away from their faith. And Peter Hitchens, at age 15, proudly burned his Bible. He wanted to have nothing to do with Christianity. But somewhere in his 40s or so, he and his girlfriend were in Belgium doing the tourist thing. And the, the green guide said that they should drop into this particular ancient building and look at an uh, altar uh, painting that had been painted in the 1500s. Hitchens and his uh, girlfriend walked into uh, this building. Imagine the painting on the back screen of the sanctuary, seven feet high and 18 feet across. It was a painting of the Last Judgment. And on that painting, Jesus is sitting on a rainbow with a scales uh, in his hand, a measuring scales. He's measuring out people. And down at the bottom of that rainbow on one side, as you're using your imagination, are people who are going to heaven. And on the other side, uh, Roger uh, van der Vaden painted this 700 years ago, on the other side are people going to hell. Peter Hitchens couldn't stop looking at the people on that side of the screen. He looked at them and he said, they didn't look like 700 year old people. He said, they looked like my neighbors. They were in Torah. They were in, in torment. Peter Hitchens looked again. He said, one of them looked like me. They were me. He said, I had no doubt at that moment that I was among the damned. He came home to the Church of England and is now a defender of the faith. The raw power of God went directly to his soul. I know that most of us will not have that kind of perhaps such a powerful, visceral uh, experience, but all of us have rough places. All of us have crooked places. All of us have valleys that need to be filled in and mountains that need to be brought low. 
And the undertone of Advent is the Savior comes scrubbing and scorching. And after the scrubbing and after the scorching, then comes the joyful promise. Once again, the offerings shall be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, Malachi said. And John the Baptist says, once again, all flesh, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Amen and amen.